See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. Welcome to the Human Derek Podcast, connecting you with the seven fundamentals of life that will take you to the next level. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. It was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Derek Podcast. It's a button that does that. I don't know if you guys could hear the metronome, but it's gone now. Hello, and welcome to episode five. Episode one, two, three, four, five. Uh, Roman numeral V. V is in Victor. Episode five. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Human <laughs> Derek podcast. Not much has changed since the last episode in terms of how weird I am. 90-year-old man that must... <laughs> this coffee it is so consistent but there's something magical about routine as a human maybe there's like a comfort a strength there's probably a lot of things anyways i strayed away from guadalupe for a very brief period of time just because i had this beautiful gift of coffee that was given to me and uh i'm back on it and just opening up the bag and smelling the coffee beans just the very small like life can move so fast and the more I purposefully slow down to enjoy these very simple, regular things each day. Just like the better I feel about everything. Like the more, I don't know, just fun. So uh, yes, this is a plug for Guadalupe, Guadalupe. I don't know if they have the theme song, but maybe they'll uh, hire out and I could do a little jingle. You don't want me to sing for them at all. They wouldn't want their their sales would go down if I did a jingle for <laughs> for their coffee. It would be... It would be awful. So hopefully they're not even listening to this or else they're going to drop uh, drop this partnership immediately. That guy is still talking about our coffee out there? Please, please don't let him. I'm going to get like a little email that says like cease and desist from their law team. Like you're, you're killing our brain. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Super delicious coffee. Guadalupe Roastery. Um, in fact, one of the upcoming episodes is with the... Uh, founder, one of the founders, and they just have an amazing team, an amazing purpose, super delicious coffee. You type in my name, Derek, D-E-R-E-K, and you get you get 10% off. I think um, that's how that works. In fact, I know many of you have already taken advantage of that, a fair number of people, because I see really cool Instagram stories and text messages come in and pictures of you drinking the coffee. I recently discovered they started putting all of the like additional details on their brand new packaging, which looks amazing. And the just the way it's packed, the, the freshness. Oh, gosh. Okay. I'm all getting excited about it. You can tell I like coffee. But uh, I, I recently saw that the Brazil, the one that I've been ordering for years, um, has peanut butter and chocolate notes. And I went, oh, my gosh, get out of here. Like, duh, no wonder I love this, but had no idea. I just picked it because go Brazil, viva Brazil, bora, bora. Anyway, I'm not going to, not going to embarrass all of the Brazilian folks in the world with my Portuguese right now and uh, cultural appropriation. Oop, I'm going to get in trouble for that when I have to edit that out. Anyways, Guadalupe Roastery, (laughs) 10% off by typing the name Derek. And uh, let's talk about today's episode. Today's episode is with a super cool guy, Ian Almasi. Almasi, oh man, 
Did I just mess up his name? I, I might have. I've known the guy for a few years, and if I messed up his name, wouldn't be the first time I've done that recently, but names are super important. So uh, Ian Almasi, A-L-M-A-S-I, super legit dude. Um, we met, I think, when he first moved to San Diego, and I actually bought a, a product off of him over the phone, and we just got to talking for a bit. as probably one of the most... Um, interesting sales call he's ever had. In fact, we, we might even talk about that a little bit in the podcast, uh, but we definitely talk about it in person. It's sort of funny. I I really already had my mind I was going to be purchasing something. However, uh, I took him to <laughs> through all the hoops from a sales perspective because I don't know, I'm really big on the sales process and um, all these different reasons people do or do not buy and kind of seeing what people will and won't ask and how comfortable they are with their products and all these things. It was a super fun experience when we discovered that we both lived in San Diego. Um, I don't remember if he asked me or if I asked him, we're like, dude, let's meet. So we've become friends uh, pre-COVID, going to the comedy clubs and just a, a super cool guy. And in the last couple years, um, just got to watch him build a business from the ground up. I mean, literally there, there was no business. What he's doing, there wasn't even really a, a full concept of it. He just started grabbing ideas and items and piecing them together and through trial and tribulation and a ridiculous amount of work and learning and networking. Um, anyways, I'm a huge fan of his. So we talk about quite a few things. I know we talk about, you know, really the concept of being like a solopreneur and learning from others, really just how to, how to grind it out. Um, he's also really into free diving. So the guy is someone that knows how to conquer fear um, currently works his business is tied around immigration law, which is a, a super fascinating thing over the last, you know, couple of presidents, the last president and this president. Um, I know we, I think we also get into a little bit about like incremental improvement, how to make progress on things and, you know, self-accountability around time. One of my favorite things that he ends up talking about is just multitasking and it's sort of a myth that, um, I don't know, multitasking as a superpower is a bit of a myth. So without me recapping the entire episode, let's get into episode number five of the Human Derek podcast with Mr. Ian Al Macy. See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. All right, awesome. Let's have a, have a good interview. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, can you hear me? Hello. I definitely can't hear you. All right. <laughs> Make sure we got this thing working. All right. All right. I like it. Try not to spill the coffee to open this up. Ooh, that's actually pretty slippery. It's the pants. It's the Under Armour pants. Yeah, you're definitely gambling there. This is a big gamble. This is risque. Actually, I could just ask you to hold it, I guess. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you drink my coffee. No, I'll take it. No, Give you it want it. Oh, yeah. I just didn't want to. All right, there you go. I wanted to get this right and not um, spill it. Hello. What do you think that's good? Yeah, it seems solid. What about that? That is quite a bit louder and more clear. What about that? That is, yeah, it's good. We cranked it up a little bit, so didn't want it to pick up like... You know, the neighbor petting her cat or something if I crank it up too high. I don't think that's going to be loud enough. <laughs> Do you hear there's a little, like just a tiny little bit of a hum in the background when I turn that up, though? These yeah. things have, it's crazy. So uh, I know we haven't talked 
you're kind of sharing, you've used the microphone a little bit in a studio, but not necessarily in a podcast setting. So it's, it's different over here versus like, there's a scope, there's yeah. like a range of it coming out. They'll probably condenser mics. There you go. See you, you got it. Smart man. Well, what's up? Hey, I'm glad you came by. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's going to be a good time. Super fun. It already, ha- it already has been. You show up and I'm like, Oh, oops. And I'm in the <laughs> middle of a workout and had to shower. So I appreciate you being. Yeah, I told you I was going to be late. You thought I'd be later than 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah uh, it was funny. Power of communication being clear. I could have been like, hey, what? when specifically do you think you'll be here? But sometimes we don't do that because we're like, oh, it's a, um, such a direct question. There can be tension. And so we let things flow and, uh, that's it's one of the things that I've shifted in in the last year. And we were just talking about the power of being very precise with our language. I very much, you can ask anybody, like, built a reputation, especially in business over the last like five or six years, about being early and being to every commitment. Like it wasn't going to my calendar or verbally committing to someone unless it was for sure. And it seems like the world got a little looser in 2020. And I found, I also found there would be times where I would just, you know, expected because I showed up to my commitments that other people would do the same thing. And so I'd get frustrated when they didn't. And I've, I've tried to loosen a little bit. I don't like the word try too much thinking about words, but I have worked to loosen a bit on that and understand that uh, I mean, like, for example, for, for you being here at a certain time, then going, hey, I'm going to be late. I'm like, okay, you know what? That's just to happen sometimes, whatever. I get to kind of adjust my world. So, yeah, is there a, you think there's a right or wrong on that in terms of precision around time and, and those verbal commitments? I mean, for the most part, I think it comes down to communication. Then the other thing, too, is, you know, what type of track record do you have also? Like, are people really used to you just being late and not doing what you say? Or is it really out of character when you're late? And so I think it's like, what's the expectation that you've set with people in the past? Especially, we, we've known each other about a year and a half, you know, around there. And so, like, what's what tone have you set? And when you first meet someone, it's important to be very intentional about that or to just be consistent with, you know, what's regular. It's like when you make a first impression that isn't, like a normal habit to you, like that person that immediately thinks that that's how you're like. So it's, uh, I, I think being intentional in all those bits is important. That seems pretty wise. By the way, just kind of a, a, a check. Would you mind trying being closer versus a little closer? Or, all right. I, I think that's a little better. What do you, what do you, do you, can, yeah, can yeah, you that's that fine. Okay. I just want to, we want to avoid that like little echo sound. And so sometimes right. it just have to do with being a little, all right, here we go. Yeah, there you go. That's good. All um, right. Yeah. Accountability. Do you think the uh, the setting matters? For example, like this is a fun, friendly thing. Yeah, it may get used for for business, like we were talking about as well. Um, but people's schedule are really important to them too. So if you're, you know, and that's why I actually work to adjust my philosophy. Is I'm like, man, people are messing with my schedule when they're late or they're not showing up commitments or things like that. So it was one of the reasons I adjusted to release some of my frustrations around that and go, huh, um, just to be more flexible and feel better about it. 
but what about our our impact on other people? So do you think, I guess, going about the the settings, is it different for personal and friendships than it is for like really strict business things, or should it be the same? Well, the more I study people and personal development is you're really not that much different when you do business. You're just a bit more polished. <laughs> and so, you know, usually when you meet people, it's, you know, especially entrepreneurs, like they're usually exactly the same outside. Like once you like once you do business for more than about a month or two, you're you're gonna kinda get that person figured out. And uh, you know, specifically if you know if you're in the industry we're in, we're in, you know, consulting and doing all this, it's there's really not much of a personality difference between the two, at least not that I've noticed. And I know maybe some people are, you know, Jekyll and Hyde with some things, but I've never met someone that's really disciplined and organized in their business life that isn't in their personal life and vice versa too. And so it's, um, that's just been my experience. That goes back to like how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. I I think that's super, super true. And, and when I found, the more I got focused on certain things, uh, it just carried over into, you know, like people going, oh, it's the weekend. I have a regular job. And I'm like, ah, what's that mean? You know, like, what does that mean to you? Like the weekend, because I didn't want to lose those habits or, you know, if I'm going to bed at 9.30 Monday through Friday, if I decide to stay up till two in the morning on Friday, well, now it's kind of messed up my rhythm or flow. Why not just keep the same habits all the time? However, burnout's a topic in today's world. It's been a topic for a while. I saw some funny articles trying to make it sound like it was a new COVID topic. It's like, I remember reading about burnout for years. It's not a new COVID topic. It's been a topic. But I, uh, you know, turning it off versus turning it on in terms of sales or business, um, I thought, and I still am playing with this in my mind, like, do you turn it off or turn it on? Or is it the more you develop a certain way of being, are you just the same all the time? You know what I mean? Well, I think it's depending on like, what's the underlying trait that's being developed? Like if you're really consistent you're, and you're building discipline in one area of your life, it's probably going to cross over. Like one thing that I wish I had to focus on when I started my business was actually like being more on top of my health and going outside and doing things like that. And that in turn, like, crossed over to my business because there were sometimes other things that were, you know, deficient. And so, like, really the whole thought process I've always had was, well, especially in the past, like, year or so, and then especially, like, since COVID started, because not really much changed for my business because we were already virtual. We were already building a company like this. So it wasn't a whole lot of adjustment. But, like, we had the opportunity to build on existing habits because, mm. you know, we, we never wanted to you know, just be a business that, you know, was reliant on one thing, which was like in-person interactions or, you know, whatever it happened to be. So really like the, I don't know, the approach I've always taken, especially recently is that, hey, you know, there's always going to be something to adapt to, but, you know, obviously your whole life's integrated. You know, like like my whole life, I've been a huge procrastinator and waited till the last minute, but now I like, I hire people to help me with those things. And I realized that, hey, if I need to do something, like, I get to it instantly. You know, just the moment, like, I like I get a task, I just hand it off to a team member, or I try to complete it myself. Or I don't want to use the word try, but, you know, it, you know, it's either one of the two, or you either get it done, or you don't. And we always set a strict deadline for everything. So I think it's mostly just, you know, your, your flaws aren't going to go away. It's, um, you know, most people don't actually change that much, according to a bunch of studies. But, you know, how, how do you actually, like, play into that? 
And, you know, for what we were talking about earlier with John Maxwell, is it's always, you know, play on your strengths or, um, you know, do what you do best and delegate the rest. But yes. obviously, when you're starting out and you're solo, it's how do you manage those things? But you can build a business around what your strengths are. Then generally, if your strengths outweigh your weaknesses, it's um, that's really what you can kind of go for. Yeah, that it almost is really old school thinking to be like, oh, I need to get better at this thing that I'm really bad at. And, you know, when you say... Uh, do it solo like you hear a lot about entrepreneurs there's a business i ran across recently called the solopreneur and he's like actually a, a podcasting like solo personal brand guy for the most part an entrepreneur needs to have a a team that helps with those things uh the procrastination thing is really funny because it also gets used as a a bad term and there's don't get me wrong. I'm planning, like I sit down and plan out my week. I've been doing that for years, plan out the the month or uh, I really recently started planning like whole years out, which has been a shift. I mean, there are always things you kind of just knew like, okay, you know, it's coming up in October, November, that thing is in September, but now to actually have it in there, it's a different mental shift. I remember in high school, I was a terrible student, uh, so bad like bottom of the class and graduating, barely graduated and having an English teacher. And I, I went to class that day and everybody's turning their papers. And I was like, oh yeah, that paper that we've been talking about every single day for a month is due today. Like a month to work on it, four or five weeks, three weeks, whatever, a, a pretty healthy chunk of time. Like it wasn't a surprise that the paper was coming. I get to class, everybody's turning. I'm like, yep, didn't do that. So I go home that night, do it and an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, whatever it is, turn in the next day. This is a good paper. And she goes, Derek, if you would just turn these things in on time, like you would be an A student because you just automatically lose a letter grade for it. But I'm kind of going to tie this back into the turning it on and turning it off thing is that once I had that, okay, let's do this today. Now is my time set aside to do this. I would just turn the on switch to getting the task done and shut everything else off. Um, and I believe when it comes to high-performing people, you're just in that on mode so much or you figure out how to find joy in the on mode. Like you almost get excited about, oh, I'm so excited to meditate for 20 minutes versus, oh, 20 minutes of silence is going to be tough. Um, I was playing poker out here. By the way, poker night. Come on by. We'll get you over for poker night. We had our, our first poker night. Uh, I didn't know it was going to turn into it. It was kind of like a last-minute thing. And one of the guys was a, a baseball player um, in in Italy. And it's been a, a weird, strange year for him in terms of traveling and sports. But partway through the game, not, we weren't all really big poker players. You know, we had like a little card that's like, oh, yeah, here's the hands and suits just to remember. And one guy was kicking our ass out of the four of us. And I realized, I'm like, I never made that decision or committed to winning. Like, I've just been playing poker. I didn't turn it on. And so I actually asked everybody, I said, who here, like, in the last hour or however long? And I said, who, who actually made that decision that they wanted to win? And we realized only one person, the person that was winning, had decided they were going to win. The rest of us were just hanging out, playing poker. 
And then once I shifted that thinking, uh, I'd like to win. It was every, my, my decisions, my actions, everything ended up being second. I think I was in dead last at that point when I realized it, you know, I was like lowest chip pile, but just turning it on, making that decision, like, okay, going for the win. Um, it was weird to see me have it turned off. And the, the baseball player talked about that. He's like, yeah, I turn it on for practice, turn it on for games, like game week, things like that. But the rest of his life sort of got in that relax, turn it off mode. So it really seems like there's these two different versions of, of that, you know, always being, you know, always is a strange word. It's an absolute, but being super high performing, consistent on uh, developing and then these other pockets of turn it on, uh, turn it off. I think it's just asking, you know, what's, how do you want to be throughout the day? You know, are you somebody that needs, you know, two straight days off? I know, you know, there's a big talk about having integrated lifestyle instead of looking for balance, you know, look for just like integration, especially now that so many people are working at home, which I think for us isn't, is it new? It's, you know, we've just been this, these digital entrepreneurs for a few years now. And so, you know, it, it wasn't a big thing. And like, you know, I, I grew up with these self-employed parents and, you know, my dad had a wood shop like at our house, like a full functioning, you know, better than probably what's in your high school wood shop. So this was nothing new for us. And I'm realizing now that so many people haven't like had to actually be disciplined, like where they're living it's like where they're living is a place where they can just watch TV and eat and like the physical environment separates that. But, you know, like growing up with entrepreneur parents that were like just, you know, like my dad, he's he would make his draftings for his woodworking projects just at our kitchen table. Like my mom would constantly do her books like on the weekends or probably not constantly. You know, when we look back, it felt like constantly. It was only like, you know, a few hours a month. Mm -hmm. So it was just crazy like seeing this stuff. But then I guess the older I'd gotten... Like, I realized that most people haven't seen their parents actually work and they weren't really actually raised in like a work environment mm -hmm. because they didn't get to see all this stuff. They didn't have that opportunity. So now, like, we're in this era where this is building. It's for me, it's like kind of nothing strange where it's like, oh, yeah, we're working at home. We have things to do on the weekends that are like actually important to our jobs. Like, you know, there's not like a five o'clock, it's over kind of thing. And that's one thing I've had to like kind of integrate lately is because, you know, I can't just like tell myself, oh, yeah, I'll just work until all this is over. You know, and it's, you know, how do you kind of develop some of these boundaries? But also for what you're saying, it's, you know, like, what is the ideal lifestyle? I think people are just hoping for that. It'll just happen to them. Oh, we're looking for work life balance or we're working for, you know, something that'll just kind of fall out of the sky. But, you know, what do you actually want to create? And there's like books about the four-hour work week about actually like crafting your own job that uh, for in a business that you don't own around like a, like a lifestyle that you're looking for. So I think people just need to start asking themselves maybe some of these tougher questions about like, hey, like how am I actually going to do this? Yeah, and being, you know, I, I think of happiness when you say all that. I uh, I haven't been to an office since the last time I was in an office was beginning of 2014. So it's been seven years since I've had like some sort of office work. And even then it was, uh, I dress like this most of the time in my office. I have a super funny photo of me. And I worked in wealth management with celebrity athletes. And there's this hilarious photo where I went to a music festival and I went into work and 
um, I think I was still riding the the high waves of having a good time at the music festival. And I'm like in my office with uh, just sunglasses and just, I don't know, just having a good time. So um, integration, I did, I've done a lot of like sales recruiting for sales teams over the last four or five years and planning life around that. I went out to visit my nieces and nephews in Texas maybe two years ago, probably about two years ago. And I still had a lot of things on the agenda before we got to the to the weekend in terms of the business world. So it was Friday and I had these scheduled interviews where I was running, uh, I believe these were final interviews at this point for the sales team. And I wanted to hang out with my niece and, and she wanted to go to the mall. And I was like, yeah, let's go to the mall. This is cool. So being able to be on the phone like running these recruiting, very focused, not distracted, keeping them on point and keeping them on target. But I've been doing it for so long at this point, at least a lot of interviews, a lot of experience. I remember like just having this experience where we go through the mall and we're at the Lego store. I'm on the phone the whole time. So like the Lego store is like, you know, she told, I got headphones in, you know, I'm kind of doing this and doing that. But just, you know, two, three hours of mall time with my niece, she was having a blast Uncle Derek's working on his phone, like you're talking about it. You know, she could see that, feel that, but she was getting her Legos. And we finally just take a break around lunchtime because she's like, you know, hey, I'm hungry, uh, like looking up at me. We sit down and I realize like, man, I just got three hours of work done. We bought Legos. We bought like a pretzel and food and ice cream or whatever we're eating. And she's as happy as a clam. She's like, this is a super cool experience. I got to spend some time with Uncle Derek, do all this cool stuff. And I got three hours of work done. So it's that, I mean, to me, that when you say integration, that really felt like integration. I think the more opportunity we have, it does require focus though, because you can't, like I couldn't have been on these interviews, running these sales interviews and uh, not bringing my best self to those calls to give the person that also took, going back to our original conversation about time, that took that half an hour, that 40 minutes to talk with me um, not giving them my best during that too. So integration, but also giving everything its, its proper, uh, attention. So I think it comes down to just admitting to yourself that everything's a choice. You know, you can be in an office and be totally distracted, emailing 15 other people while you're interviewing somebody, or you could be in the mall on your phone and giving them your complete focus. And, you know, now that we're digital, we we really have that opportunity to, to do that. And sometimes like what I tell people when they're on the phone is like, you know, if someone was sitting across from you and you were actually talking to them, like, do you think they'd buy from you if you were just like, you know, drinking coffee while you're on the phone, like, like, you know, in a tank top, like selling in a, you know, if, if the answer is yes, that's fine. But really like, you know, treat the digital life like kind of the same, the same level of professionalism and standards. And they've done a lot of studies on this where, you know, people that are in digital environments, the high performers, they treat these digital things the same as an in-person interaction. And those are the people that do well. Because obviously there's all these questions now, but oh, what's the difference between selling on the phone and Zoom and in person? It's a little different. What I'm really it's it doesn't have to be. Yeah. It's similar. That's um that's a principle I picked up from uh one is one of my favorite themes for life. I took this this class. And it, it was a book and it had all these different readings, like from Heinrich Himmler, this like Nazi guy to uh, Michael McKeon, this philosopher. 
and they were about very different things. And then the, and it was a, a complex, like understanding, like English type class. And it was, it was pretty awesome. One of my favorite, it made me think critical, critical thinking skills, like beyond what I ever really had been challenged before. And we read all this and he's like, all right, so now that we've like dissected each of these, you know, turn in a paper on how they're similar. And I was like, what? Cause we're trained in life all the time to find out, you know, to look at things and judge them. And our brains are wired this way to protect us from the environment. Like danger different but he was like figure out how uh this is, is similar and so when it comes to shifting sales and business meetings and all these things to to zoom or over the phone uh one is i've been fortunate that been working over the phone for a while um two is i work with a lot of a lot, i mean everybody i work with is pretty much in, in sales in terms of what i'm doing on a daily basis and i have shared that many, many times, you know, they're not different. This principle I got from that Ray Dalio book is that most things are the same. Like, oh, it's another one of those. The more you can go another one of those and see how it's familiar, the more adaptable, the more success you have. Uh, what you're talking about in terms of people on their phone in-person meeting, surprisingly, I've worked, worked with hundreds of people in, in B2B sales over the last few years. And I can, I actually get a little bit of a, like, kind of blood pressure moment. Like my heart kind of twitches thinking about uh, the times I've had someone say, hey, I'm in a meeting. Like, what's going on? And it's like they're in a meeting playing on the phone. They're actually doing that or, or not. Like, I went into so many meetings in person for a few years in, like, advertising sales. My phone was on airplane mode every single time because the person that I'm with, they are getting a thousand percent of me. Uh, even if they have distractions, like as a business owner, they have an employee coming in or anything like that. I don't care. I'm there to, to, you know, serve them in that time. And so I'm not looking at my phone, uh, no matter what they have going on. That's, that's really important. Yeah, and I think it just comes down to hey, like you know, what are your principles? You know, bringing up Ray Dalio's, you know, bring up a few, and then you know, I think most of them come from when we're younger and what we learn from our family. But you you still have a choice of what you want to you know do on a daily basis. Because I think really like you know your behavior is like what what people judge you on. Yeah, you have read a lot of uh, human psychology and things like that, and that is that's one of my favorite topics: the nature versus nurture. Because I I joke in a sense. But, you know, they say there's a little truth every joke. One of my favorite things is like, you know, I was raised by a bunch of heathens. In some regards, <laughs> it's arguable that, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't have a lot of like structure or anything like that. So most of mine were principles that I I figured out throughout life or recognized, hey, I admire that person. I really like how they're living life. Like what's, you know, what are they doing well or right or that makes me feel good? And then sort of grasping onto those concepts. Um, you're, I mean, you've read a lot of, you're a reader in general. How about this? I'd, I'd love to, we haven't really discussed it at all, but you've been in San Diego now for what, a couple of years, things like that. Let's uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about who you are, what you're doing, what your journey has been like. Yeah. So, well, I came to San Diego two years ago. It was, um, I traveled for a few years. Uh, well, I'd go to Alaska and work, and then I'd travel in the off seasons. I'd also go home and work for my old boss, which was uh, in the tree industry, which which was really fun. That was a big adventure. 
But then it was kind of just missing that extra little bit of fulfillment, which, you know, I realize now that I'm in business, that was like kind of the, th- there was nothing to get obsessed with and nothing to, no, not, not nothing, you know, for some people that was fulfilling. But, you know, for me, like, you know, I just, once I found the business world, it was like, wow, like this was like kind of the adventure that I needed because it was more, it didn't end right when I got home, you know, it was just like, it was just that side of the lifestyle. And for a long time, you know, just being in the tree industry too, it was just really easy to travel and work in that. Like I moved to North Carolina and I worked there in it. You know, when you're working in Alaska too, it's, you know, you, you work a ton, but it's like kind of part of the adventure is, you know, actually going up there and doing that. And, you know, we're, you know, doing land-based stuff. I fished for one winter and that was kind of where I, you know, just got to thinking was like, but there were all these, you know, it, it wasn't integrated. It's was like, I go for a few months and work. I go travel for a few months. I go home for a month or two, work for my old boss, you know, see my family. Then it was just a very revolving door of, oh, I'd make money, I'd go spend it, I'd go recover it. And I did that for two years. And it was, I I don't regret it. It was a great experience. But he's, you know, how do I get all these things that I like in my life? Because I like working, I like being productive, I like getting stuff done, I like traveling and meeting new people and communicating and, you know, learning language and culture. Then I also like just being home too. Like that was kind of a part. So how do I mesh all of these together was kind of the question I started asking and, you know, I just happened to get an online ad that sold me a program that would have allowed that. And that was um, from Ty Lopez, who I ended up working for the last year and a half until last week. And so that was um, really building up that side of just your, your curiosity. But I think just the biggest thing it came down to was always telling myself it's possible. You know, just all these like, oh, I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind that. I kind of want that. And it's just, I always felt like, okay, it's possible for me to find like whatever I'm looking for. Now, granted, I know you have to make sacrifices and compromise and all this, but, um, you know, I've, I've never told myself that it wasn't possible to have like the ideal lifestyle and I never knew exactly what I wanted, but I always knew that, you know, just, I, I always had an idea of how I wanted to feel on a daily basis. And so that's like kind of what, what I've been striving for. Then also just the whole example of, um, you know, you look around at different entrepreneurs and immigrants and people and just people in general, it's like, you know, you, you have to learn like what to accept in your life. And I never wanted to accept that I just couldn't have like the ideal lifestyle. And I still don't even know what that is. Just kind of boil it down to a few different goals, really. Keep going, I'm listening. All right. <laughs> I'm just moving the coffee cup. Yeah. All right. The ideal lifestyle. Yeah, I didn't mean to break the flow there. Keep no, no, it's all right. Well, I, I mean, let's... I never wanted to justify not getting what I wanted and you're not going to get everything you want. It's like that old saying, and it's, you know, I think it's in Dalio's book and a bunch of other places. You can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. And so it's, you know, like, what are you willing to sacrifice? And then also just, there's just these odd end goals. And I think everybody has these few things in the back of their head that they know they're not putting all the effort towards. And so it's, you know, like, why not uncover those? Like I moved to San Diego because I wanted to free dive more. I liked it here. I went to a ton of other places. I didn't fall in love with it. Then at the end of every trip, I went to Latin America or out of the country. I would always come back here, hang out here for a week, and then go home. Then after a few years of that, I was like, why don't I just move there? Like Instead of just traveling until I find this right place, Like this is the place I've gone all the time. I love it every time I go. And it was also just a good environment. I didn't have to deal with getting a visa, which was something I looked into in other countries, and how to actually you know immigrate to other places. Then, you know, granted, moving here was, you know, it, it was different. I just kind of packed up my car and drove down here. 
There's like so many. I'm just like visually as you were saying that, I'm like, there's like six different things for us to cover that. I mean, oh, there's yeah. probably even more, but you said so much. That is, uh, there, I mean, there's so many things. When, I mean, the, at the very beginning, too, when you talked about uh, getting home from work at the end of the day and then like that kind of being, I took it as the end of the story. And our story, you know, we're constantly writing that. Uh, there's a movie called Matilda. For some reason, that popped into my head while you were, while you were sharing beats, bits and pieces of your story. And I think her dad, you remember that show? Or did you ever see that movie? It was like a Disney movie or something. Cute little girl. You know, she was stuck in a really bad family environment. And uh, Danny DeVito was her dad. And I think he was like a car salesman or something. Like a, But not like whatever he did during the day was not like he wasn't a nice person. And then he just came home and he was like kind of mean at home. But it made me think of that. Oftentimes people during the day, like that's their story. I'm a business person. I'm a real estate agent. I'm a, uh, working in the tree industry. And then they think, okay, I'm home. Now my story's off and it's turn on the TV or it's whatever. And, and for some people that makes them super happy. You, you then spoke about how most of us have these things in our mind or something that's like almost a, a purpose or like, hey, do this. Um, I have a friend that really just met last year here in San Diego as well. We were talking about sleeping and she was saying, I'm having like trouble sleeping. I can't go to sleep at night. And then we were talking about what is she doing? And it was just the way she described it. I, I felt really compelled to share. I, I believe that most of those types of things, these unnatural, you know, oh, I can't fall asleep or anxiety or whatever. There's actually just a real underlying thing. And I, I shared with her, I said, I, I believe, and she didn't tell me any of this. I said, just based on what you're sharing with me, I believe that you have something, a purpose, a project. There's something in there that you haven't been doing that you would like to do, that you believe you're supposed to do. And I said, if you figure that out, if I'm right, I think you'll start sleeping better. And she just was like, how did you know? You know, like we were talking about it at all. And then a few months go by and I get this text message. Uh, actually, she messaged me on Instagram. She was like, here it is. Here's what I've got going on. And she had this book that she had like kind of just put on the side. And uh, it should be going to print soon now. But it was just like that seed, that little thing that sparked it. And uh, hey man, you, you probably, let's, we, I think most of us have that something. Not not everybody, but there's some of us that are wired like, hey, I should be doing this thing. Now we live in a world where we have that opportunity. Usually you have to overcome some things, fight some fear. Uh, you moving here to, to San Diego, you said just packed up your car and move. Like how much fear was involved in that process? Not a ton. Okay. Like in the past, I'd like moved to North Carolina from Washington State. But like I took five weeks driving across the country and like I packed up like a suitcase of dive gear to go work in Latin America, which I did, but I ended up not doing that because I got a job offer to work on a fishing boat. And really, so that was that kind of initial anxiety is I was, I kind of went home to resolve some things and I just wanted to feel better about where it was from because it's a great place, but I knew I didn't want to stay there. And then, you know, once I left, I was kind of ready. So I was more like excited than anything because this wasn't the first shot. Mm -hmm. I tried moving to North Carolina, I, like 
I wanted to move to Panama. And then, you know, once once that became a viable option, I was I realized there were other things I wanted to do first and that I was I didn't want to be a dive shop owner, which the you know, the industry I was in at the time. And I still did it as a hobby. And so that's it's just kind of just asking yourself those questions. But I think it's just the big thing telling yourself is most things really aren't as scary as you think they are. I mean, when it comes to, you know, minorly, like there's obviously things you should avoid and you don't want to get yourself into bad, bad situations. But these these little leaps of courage that are usually going to force you to change, I think that's what most people are afraid of is the actual, you know, I'm going to have to change in order to do this mm. and actually making the decision. Like, I think people are more afraid of actually making the decision than doing what they're thinking about. I'm decided to win this poker game. It's these little decisions. That yeah. They require energy. They require focus. They sometimes require shedding off other habits to make room for this. So maybe not the fear of actually moving here, but I mean, I don't mean to pry too much, but sometimes this is like, these are some of my favorite just things to think about in general. Uh, you know, I think about what are the reasons people will tell themselves, I don't want to say excuses, that's pretty harsh, justifications or reasons, you know, oh, I can't move to San Diego even though I want to be there because uh, I really should check and make sure this is recorded, by the way. I don't think I ever checked that earlier and I'd feel really terrible if it's not. Hold on one sec, hold All that right. thought. <laughs> that is if I remember right. Dude, I, yeah, okay, it is. I didn't have the little record symbol on there. So what time is this? Do it. I think we're... I remember 126 if you can. Okay. Uh, <laughs> whoops, off the get. Hopefully the editor can help out with that. That was a brain head move. The little recording button went away. So people often tell themselves uh, reasons. And we all do it. I've, I've done it before. I think it's a human thing. Well, you know, I love it. You were talking about saying that's possible over and over and over and over. Like um, that. And then sometimes we go, like if I went, okay, you know what? I want to be a professional MMA fighter. I want to fight in the UFC. I'm, I'm 35. That's not usually the time that people decide to pursue that career. So I can go, oh, I'm, I'm kind of old to learn something like that. Uh, you know, these things. So people, so moving to San Diego could be, well, I have a kid or two kids or there's no work there or the cost of living is expensive. And people get caught up in this and, and both, you know, seemingly small things. It's, it's, different so it may be very large to someone and, and small to someone else um but uh like so finances and, and money too you know that's a big reason that some folks don't take the little leap of courage did you put it like how you put that the little leaps of courage it's really what they are did you face any of that around what am i going to do for work or finances in order to you know quote unquote make it in southern california yeah, I did. I also went and looked at a cost of living calculator and realized it wasn't all that more expensive when, when I was living in Washington. And I think that is like kind of an initial fear, but I, I really wanted to do something that would cause me to to upgrade myself. And like when I was when I was twenty, I actually like cut my finger at work and I realized that things can change instantly, but it really forced me to upgrade and think differently. And I know that I work a lot better if I have a like more pressure to do things. Which is, that's me. That just doesn't mean everybody should put themselves in these super pressure positions where they could possibly break down and, you know, face major consequences. But it was overall, it was just kind of the, I mean, I knew I was going to do it anyways. And so per what you said earlier, making this decision is um, I, I was going to live with it. 
Like, like I was just going to make it work. And granted, it was pretty rough the first like year being here just because, you know, I made some bad business decisions and, you know, it's all over now. It's, you know, it's kind of something you look back and laugh on at this point. But overall, like I, I had decided to do it. It was one thing. And then I knew like, what was the alternative for me? I wasn't really happy living in Washington. I wanted to, it was, even though it was a good place, I just felt like I was settling, which mm -hmm. I didn't want to do. And then, um, yeah, overall, it was just like, to me, there was really no other alternative because like, you know, we had you know, our family in particular, like my dad moved out West in 1977 and never moved back to New York state. My grandpa came over here on a boat to flee like post-World War One Europe. You know, it was like, we kind of have this family story like this. So I guess maybe it was kind of in the blood. Hmm. But the other thing was, you know, it's I made a decision. I was going to live with it. And also, I, yeah, I, that was that was the thing is I just didn't want to know that I didn't try. And I think the main thing is getting back to your original point is how do you overcome these small justifications is for one, like, you know, people are always thinking about like the ultimate goal and looking at all of this huge amount of, of work that it takes to get there. Like, oh, I want to build a seven figure business or I, you know, I want to have like, you know, a five bedroom house in X neighborhood. And oh, my God, that's going to be two million dollars. But like. What's the next step that gets you closer to that? Like, like, what do you actually need to focus on right now to get there? Like, there's the big picture goal, and then there's just this, like, like, like what is the next step? It's like, okay, well, I want to move. It's all right. Well, I don't want to take all my stuff with me, so I should either sell this and condense it. Or, like, you know, if you want to start a book, you're like, oh, i got to write 200 pages. It's like, okay, well, well, what's the first chapter going to be called? You know, how do you, how do you integrate, like, these little tasks of just what actually needs to get done into that. And then also it's just, just start. I, I mean, you know, every big project is big. I mean, just start. I mean, like it's all just these small compounded actions. And then for the most part in an age like this, you know, you don't have to do everything yourself anymore. You have the yeah. whole world at your disposal with the internet and Upwork and all these different things. And also like it's, you know, it's a lot of like people are still kind of they don't realize how simple it is to do some things now. Like for your friend that like wanted to have the book published, you can self-publish an Amazon book without a printing company and print on demand. So you can have zero printing costs and still someone pays. People oh. can drop ship. And like you can do this with a lot of different things. But like I, I always just think about what's the actual next step to to getting yourself there. And like that, that was always kind of the thought process. Dude, this audio equipment we're sitting on now, um, this podcast project actually started in 2018 and i mentioned this a couple of times i don't want to keep repeating myself for people who are listening to episodes over uh the continuing episodes i brought it up a couple of times already but um, this legitimately started in 2018 and had people asking me to be a, a part of some you know podcast groups and launching and uh recorded a couple episodes and then i was like okay you know what this is like equipment is going to be Wanted to sound nice, look nice, wanted to do it in a certain way. Yeah, you could record stuff from your phone. And so I uh, went and made this investment in some nice equipment and it just sat there in boxes and I stared at it and I had all these reasons to not get moving on it. And finally, one day I just went, uh, okay, how can I trick myself into getting started? One was I just pulled the equipment out of the box and I didn't want this... Like I didn't want nice equipment just sitting out and around. I didn't want anything sitting out and around. So I'm like, all right, pull it out of the box and I have to figure out how to set it up. Then I booked a guest. 
And when I booked the first guest, uh, I had to do all the other stuff in order to to be there for that commitment. I want to be the person that goes, oh, you know what? I know we had this time scheduled and you're taking time out of your busy day to come over here. And I'm not really, I don't have the equipment ready. Sorry, could we do this another time? I don't want to be that person. Like, no, I made this commitment. So I was up till three o'clock in the morning, YouTubing, <laughs> figuring out where does this plug go? Like, why does this sound funky over here? Wasn't perfect on the audio, but I spent hours doing it. And so what was the next step? Pulling the microphones out of the box. What was the next step? Booking a guest. All those little chunks. It's still not a, a seamless process. You saw today I had to figure out some things because I got a new wire. But we can do that with anything in life. You want to buy a house? You know, okay, What? call a mortgage lender, call a real estate agent and say, what are my... What are my next steps? doesn't matter if you're sitting there and your credit score is 400 or it's 800. You know, what are those next steps? When it came to you building your business, we can talk more about that too. Like what were, you bought a, a course from Ty Lopez. I'd love to talk about that guy because I fell into the category of not being a fan of his uh, flamboyant ads for a couple of years and eventually bought into the program, uh, many of his programs, just because of the value I found inside of him. But what were some of those next steps for you uh, to get you going on, on where you're at now? So for the most part, I'd like when I bought the course from Ty, and I worked for Ty for a year and a half doing his sales, and I realized that most people just, they, they buy those courses like not wondering what they want to do. At the moment I bought that course and opened it up, I was like, okay, I'm this is my life. This is the business I'm going to start. And granted, I didn't start that business immediately. I didn't even finish the course for you know a while after that. I just kept doing what I was doing. But I always knew I was going to do it. And so it does come down to the decision where it's like, you know, how good are you at keeping commitments to yourself? It's kind of one question to ask. But the big thing was, it also was timing too. Like it came that, and you know, Online advertising is obviously very exact if you know how to do it right. They're very good at picking up on this stuff. And when I bought the program, I was looking for a way to make money, travel, and also you know work and have a project that was fulfilling. And at the time, like having a digital business where I could help other business owners, I've been working for small businesses in the tree industry for a long time and kind of heard a lot of these concerns just from osmosis. My parents are small business owners. So starting that company... Like one of the big things was, uh, and this is you know advice I give somebody this starting is don't just quit your job and go all into a business you know nothing about because that's what I did and you know granted I'm here it's fine I don't regret it but um you know when you are running a company you're going to have a very finite amount of time of disposable time to actually do things anyways and a lot of people they're like oh I don't have time with my job or my kids or all this when really like when you own a business. That's what it's like anyways. And like what I would always tell people on the phone when I was working for Ty and what I still tell people is Warren Buffett has read eight hours a day since he was, you know, five, six, seven years old. So the amount of disposable time he has, he's gotten himself to a net worth of what, like 90, 80 billion. Like, I don't know how much money he has, but a lot. He has 91 brands. He does all this. And he's done all of that in the same amount of time that people have outside of work outside of taking care of their kids, outside of that. Then also, I think one thing is, um, you know, pull up your phone. Look at how much, like, look at your screen report. How, what are you actually doing on a daily basis? 
And that's uh, that was another thing one of the head salespeople taught us to tie. Is like if someone says they don't have time, get them to pull up their phone and pull up their screen report. They might be on Instagram three hours a day. They might be, you know, watching YouTube videos a certain amount of time, or maybe they actually are that busy and they're being honest with themselves and they're mm-hmm. they're right. But then uh, just get really exact on it. And as far as actually starting the whole course with tying, the whole process is. I decided that this was going to, like, this was a life decision. It wasn't something I was going to abandon. And then also it was, uh, you know, that particular business is the barrier to entry to starting any company now is so low. And the other thing too now is buyers are so informed. A lot of the times it's a good thing and a bad thing because a lot of people you're talking to are can usually be pre-sold. You can send them videos. You can send them this. They can go on YouTube and see your YouTube channel. And I think the big thing is people are just scared of starting and scrutiny and all this. But really, it's, you know, you're, it, it's the Internet. I mean, there's so many people out there. It's really hard for you to actually, like, beat the noise and get out there. And so it's, you know, I think people get so used to seeing so much of their own advertising and different things and their efforts that they don't actually realize that that's still just a small portion of what people are even seeing of you, even if they're recognizing it. Mm. Yeah, the the time chunking is really fascinating. I remember one of my first, uh, I've never had a, and I shouldn't say never. Um, how are we doing on time, by the way? Oh, yeah, we're fine. Right. Just... Okay, cool. Um, I have had payroll, so I can't say never. Most of the people that I've worked with and, and built teams around or that have supported me in terms of like administration assistance, or uh, sales reps, or just different um, folks that I've had support uh, business. Like one of my first businesses was a an English school in Brazil. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but I've generally paid them like a flat fee, like a, a contract setup and performance setup. So it's always incentivizing versus an hourly wage. And I remember a, a lady coming and saying, "You know, Derek." It feels like, and I consistently we'd been raising her her contract value, and the workload wasn't going up tremendously, but the business was growing, and her value she was, you know, brought a lot more value over the course of this time. And she said, "I, I'm doing just way more work. This is taking way longer than uh, it has in the past." Like she's like, "There's so much to do now," and I said, "Great, hey, I, I want to pay you for exactly what you're doing. Like you deserve it." So how about this? For the next month, a couple weeks, I think it was next month. Next month, you know, track everything that you're doing, how long it takes, and then let's meet about this again and talk about, you know, your pay. So a month goes by, I had it on my list, hadn't heard anything about it. I'm like, hey, uh, you know, I, we were talking about some other stuff. I'm like, you know, I, are you ready? Should we be meeting about the time tracking and the, and the pay to, to, you know, make sure everything matches up. She's like, well, I don't really want to bring it up again. Once I actually started tracking my time, <laughs> yeah. She's like, I was doing 20 minutes of this and then petting the cat and then 20 minutes of this and then playing on Instagram. And it was, it was for me, I kind of had that idea because I knew how long it would take me to get the same things done. But I think it was really eye-opening for her to actually go through that process. There was this uh, science report or like some research uh, on these folks that uh, like they were doing papers, research papers, 
and they surveyed people to see how much they thought, do you know this stuff that I'm talking about? Yeah, you told me about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that was us talking about it. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, man, did I say this on an episode? But, uh, and, you know, let's say there were like three or four people completing a paper and they, the one of the questions was like, what percentage of this work did you complete? And the average total of work that was completed based on how much people felt that they did on these research papers was like over 200%. So everybody thought they contributed like 70% or I did 80% of the work. And that's probably some, probably has to do with some of these cognitive biases or just, you know, oftentimes we feel like we're doing a lot and, and it's great to have personal tools, whether it's tracking or just really good people around us to help us get perspective on what is it exactly that we're doing? How long are we actually spending on this? What is my, my focus on? Because we all have 24 hours unless somebody's living kind of an advanced dimension that they get to manipulate time a little better maybe than you and I, something I'm not aware of. And where we put our focus and direction helps us uh, determine what happens at that time. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And really, for the most part, I think people actually only work like a few hours a day out of an eight-hour day. It's um, really interesting. It's an interesting concept. We actually have, um, for a lot of our virtual employees, we have people, we have a tool, a screenshot monitor that screenshots every two minutes what they're doing. And uh, one employee, or not employee, he doesn't directly work for us, employed through a third party, we looked back at the report and he was spending, this This was this last week, was like I literally did this this morning, <laughs> an hour and a half of his day this week was dedicated to something non-work related. He was just reading this article throughout the day, taking breaks. And so like we realized that it was, you know, like there's there, there's this thing. Now it was very innocent. He's probably not telling himself, oh, this is, you know, a sixth of my work day is going towards this. But like that's, you know, I think we're all kind of lying to ourselves to some extent about like what amount of time it actually takes. And really, I think it's this whole concept of, oh, we need somebody good at multitasking when really they that just destroys your focus. Mm-hmm. There's no advantage to multitasking at all. Just sitting down, focusing on something and getting it done is you know, really, really what it takes. And also, it's just kind of deciding like, hey, to, what standard do you want to hold for yourself? And I think we talked about it before where it's like, Usually, the more responsibility you give somebody, the better they're going to do. It's like, you know, people want to be held to a high standard. Like, you know, they've done all these studies with kids about how, you know, the more rules they have, the more they kind of fall in line with the different things. And look at how structured the military is. And so it's, you know, obviously, like, it's up to you to decide, like, how you want your company and your family to go out or um, and t- to actually work out and then to, like, like the level of that you want to hold them to. But I think it's just kind of there's, you kind of need to know, like, what, what's your baseline? What's, like, a baseline performance you want to hit? Like, what are these? And also, like, you know, is, is it reasonable? Is it an actual, is the performance, is, is, like, is there a standard, like, you know, a lot lower than it could be? Is it too high to people to actually hit? And kind of getting back to what you originally said about just kind of taking that small little leap is what are the micro steps to take you to get there? Then also people think, oh, just one, two percent, it's not a big deal. But one or two percent of like a hundred dollars, you're not worried about it. One or two percent of a hundred million dollars is something that people will will treat a lot differently. So it's you know what what we 
what we decide to do, like what, what our baseline is, you know, it made me think of stress. Because if we set these expectations and things in a way that are causing us stress, and, and stress is a funny word too, because there's actually, there's two types of stress. Yeah. There's stress, which we don't talk a lot about as people, and then there's distress. Distress is like panic, fear, cortisol, not super healthy to be in that uh, state for long periods of time. That's how people have like nervous breakdowns and generally, you know, need a little extra loving when they get to that point. But you stress to me, the biggest example I can think of personally is like how much fear I used to have around public speaking and putting myself in that position, having those opportunities, working through it, turned it from distress, freaking out about it to you stress, where it was like this growth stress. Like I put myself in these challenging positions I got better at it and better at it. Now it's like a healthy, fun, like a high energy, elevating, uh, more growth oriented uh, stress, really. Well, I mean, yeah, it's just deciding, you know, what's what's your threshold, too. You don't have to, you know, I'll never forget. I, I've, I met somebody at a conference once. And he was telling me, oh, get out of your comfort zone. I was like, well, I kind of think more about expanding people's comfort zones. Like, you know, with my team and how we do it, it's like we don't want to give people, we don't want to scare people away from growth. So we always just wanted to help them kind of expand a little bit at a healthy, like comfortable rate. And granted, this guy, you know, I didn't know much about him. I don't think he was super wealthy, but all the people that were part of his team were very happy and supportive. Mm. So I think it's also just how do you, how do you want to shape the culture? And then in regards to that, too, I think it does get a bit more challenging the more people you get because, you know, the larger your team gets, the less you can spend time with one person, the less you're going to get to know people. And then I think the other side of it, too, though, is, you know, what what do you actually want to build? I mean, do you want to have the solopreneur business where people rely very heavily on you? Do you want to have this automated company? Do you want to have, you know, kind of the whole good, fast or cheap to choose two thing? Like, what's what do you actually want to be providing to people? Because when I started, I was just kind of doing whatever I could to make money, which is partly because I didn't have any income and I was just like going all out building this company. But I didn't have much clarity either. And I'd, mm -hmm. I'd owned a business prior to that, but it was more just a weekend for fun thing. Then all of a sudden, I went into a very competitive industry and I didn't really understand how to sell marketing services to people and that people were getting just hounded constantly by by these people. Now we've definitely developed methods for it, but you're always going to fall into some kind of stereotype. And so you might as well just kind of accept that. It's uh, Most people aren't going to think your business is as special as you are because you own it. I mean, it's, you know, it's like no one wants to get told they have an ugly baby. It's kind of the same concept. <laughs> where it's, oh, babies can't be ugly. There, there are ugly babies. Man, I hope I don't jinx it if I do have kids. Uh, that I have an ugly baby. That would be terrible. It'll be cute to me. That's all that matters, right? Yeah, yeah, but that's like... But, perspective you know it's um, um it's it's kind of like you know like, like you train in jujitsu and mma and all this stuff you know i'm sure the person that trains that gym he has an ideal way that he wants to train people mm -hmm. and then there's all people with varying skill levels coming in and then you know how do you adapt kind of this idealist vision and adapt it to a like a large number of people or maybe a small number of people but these different personality types that are come in with different you know, varying ranges of that. Like some people might be going in wanting to, you know, do self-defense or some people might want to go in just to get, you know, a very well-rounded, like, you know, physique. Mm -hmm. And those are two very different 
you know, things that are going to be adapted to the same process. So I think it's just how do you help people like that? And then, you know, in my business, we've niched down considerably, but you know, you still can be a generalist and, you know, be successful and do things. But you know, we found it good to actually just find a method and, a, you know, an actual process to helping, helping people build within the industry we work in. I really like choking people. That's why I go there. I'm like, okay, I want to so kick you there and you go. choke you. Like, can I just kick you? When you kick someone and like, in the oh, yeah. It doesn't feel good to get kicked, by the way. The most painful, I've had these crazy injuries. Like I've had uh, destroyed my knee. I wrapped it around a tree when I was snowboarding, like flying through the air, hit a tree sideways. Uh, all kinds of crazy injuries. I've had a bone sticking out of my hand, if you can see oh, that wow. there. And the most of all the stuff that has happened in life, like car accidents, like multiple car accidents, the most painful thing that has ever happened where my brain did something new was probably about a year ago. I got kicked in sparring by this guy and he's pretty, pretty good sized dude, obviously very good at Muay Thai. He kicked me in like the hip and it told my brain like the nerves, whatever it was, the bone, the nerves. I'm like even touching it here. I'm like, oh, my hip. It shot up my, like, it sent a signal to my brain that said, get out of here. Like, you don't want to be here anymore. I've been in, I've been in growing up, not the, you know, most beautiful places in terms of some uh, environments. Been in a lot of fist fights as a kid. A lot of fights in my late teens, early 20s. And... I can't think of there's just there weren't cases where I'm like, oh my gosh, like to feel that level of pain. This guy kicked me in the hip, my brain shut down and was like, get out of here. You don't want to be here anymore. That was something else. Like, don't do that. So uh sort of a sidebar there. But yeah, I mean, the people do have different purpose. And and you were talking about clarity, and that's eventually what I'll tie it back to here is that clarity is really important. Um I know I have my own things that have helped me get really clear on things. What what helped you get clear in your process? Well, for one, discomfort. I realized a lot of things I didn't want to do. And like I guess for one was like, what was what's the overarching goal of a lot of this? It's something most people forget. You know, you start this business, oh, I want to make extra money so I can travel and do this. And when you're in your basement at you know, eight o'clock on Saturday night. You know, working on things, you know, it's easy to kind of forget that. Then you get to back to thinking where it's like, you know, I just want to get to the point where I could take a full day off and not feel guilty. And so, like, mm-hmm. what is kind of that? I, I mean, like, there's goals, the word that's thrown around, the vision. Like, what did you actually want when you started? Then I, I get a lot. Like, what helps me get clarity on that is just writing those down every day to just kind of remember what's, like, the overarching purpose. And, like, you know, really, like, obviously, like, what you're going to want in life is going to change. But you don't know like how you want to feel on a daily basis. Like how does mm-hmm. how does this actually you know play into like what the my definite major purpose is? So I guess overall, there's not really one right or wrong answer to it. Because I feel like people want like this one answer that's going to get them. And I don't know if you've dealt with this in sales training where people are like, oh, what's the one way I need to do it? What's the one way? I-? And it's uh, like we had a Zoom call with one of our uh, one of our clients and their team the other day, and they're asking all these questions about how they're going to do it, how it's going to be, and I'm like. You know what? You can. It can be like any of these, and time's going to kind of decide that. So, I think part of getting to the point where you have clarity is you have to deal with uncertainty for a while, is because um, you have to know what you're getting clear on. 
And I guess, uh, and that's just been my personal experience. There might be some other person on your podcast who completely disagree with <laughs> me, which I'm sure is going to happen. But I just like, what, what, what are you really striving for is, I guess, one thing. Then also, like, you don't have to do it all alone. You know, you don't have to shoulder all the responsibility. You don't have to do all this. Like, you know, you can ask for help from people. I mean, most people aren't going to help you if you're not being proactive on solving a problem on your own or getting clarity on your own. But, you know, just uh, like Moses, for example, you know, wandering the desert for, for years. I mean, there's there's usually this lack of clarity within every successful person or successful entity's story. So it's, I, I mean, there's the whole clarity part, but you're usually going to have to go through the weeds to get there. That's kind of been a consistent story with a lot of people that I've met and, and read about. I love that you dropped Moses in there because we were talking before we started about how I've been reading the Bible and I just finished I just finished uh, Genesis. That's quite a word. Just, just a, I'm going to play with that sentence later. Just finished uh, Genesis, started Exodus. And I know you're not supposed to read the Bible like front to back, so I'll have to figure out what order. But uh, that a lot of powerful stories in there. One thing I heard is sort of a theme when you're talking about clarity is action. You know, even your reflective moments, we were talking about writing down what you want, and then you mentioned, uh, found out what I didn't like. Those are all action. It's not like we can sit around. I haven't ever heard someone say, you know what? I was hanging out, watching Netflix, playing PS4, eating pizza, cake, and chugging a two-liter Pepsi, and this really great idea came to me. Now, that's a little, it's not saying those things are bad. That almost could seem a little harsh. Uh, it's good to have fun. You got to have some entertainment in life. But to figure out, in, in my experience, and I actually, you know, I have watched movies and had a really good idea come because the movie was so boring and I was with a group of people and I'm like, cool, this is a good time to kind of check out and work through some mental thoughts. Um, but you took action on everything. Okay, what do I want? I wrote it down. Okay, what would make me happy? Wrote it down. And then you went and just did it. Uh, it goes back to that, what's the next step? And it really seems to be a theme. I found it to be a super big theme in my life uh, constantly is, you know, why would I asking myself questions? You know, why would I do that? Why wouldn't I do that? More critical thinking than just accepting something. Um. When did you when did you start your business? It was um, well, technically, I got started in 2017, okay. August 2017, when I got licensed. Well, so, so this is the marketing company. I had a dive instruction business that I owned before that, and you know, owned for a while after that too. So I started the marketing company 2017 August was when we got like officially licensed, and then um, after a while, it was just kind of a weekender thing, and then I was just like, you know, I'm just going to quit my job and go for it. Actually, I took a two-week trip to Hawaii. I took a freediving class, and I was just like, you know, I'm done with the tree industry and just done with my job. And I've been telling my boss that I like was was going to stop and do this. And the plan was initially to kind of ease into it, like get one or two clients, then you know, then actually go out and take care of this stuff. Which obviously plans changed, and you know, just kind of the whole feeling of oh yeah, I'm not following my definite major purpose. So it was February of 2018 after I'd gone to Hawaii and taken this. I was just like, I just stopped and quit my job. And I didn't really understand like the whole structure of running a company. And also just having been an employee for years. I mean, even though I had entrepreneur parents and business owner parents and had like met a lot of you know business owners, 
Like even when I was a dive instructor in the Virgin Islands, like there was a lot of these just business people that were going down there running sailboats that we were like working with. But I think the big thing was like I, I was also willing to just be uncomfortable to fi- like to force myself to figure it out. And granted, if that's not your personality, that's totally fine. But, uh, you know, just get used to a little bit of uncertainty. And I think that's um, once you can really just, you know, accept the fact that you're not always going to know everything. It's okay because I think school kind of teaches people that you have to be very well-rounded and know everything in every subject and be good at everything. And, you know, you have to have this, you know, diverse. And, you know, granted, I think there are a lot of good things about school that's not talked about in the entrepreneur community. There's kind of stuff talking about the modern school system. It's uh, I, I really wanted to just give myself the right level of uncertainty to cause me to grow because I knew it was just I would never go all in until it was my only option. And that was, um, and granted, like, I wouldn't suggest that for people, like, looking back now that, oh, yeah, you probably should figure out how to actually make money and do your books and, like, not mix your personal and business finances and, mm. you know, actually stay on top and know how to do a profit and loss and know what, what those terms even are. It's, um, and, you know, really being effective with your time. But, you know, f- for me, it was just like I knew I had to be that, you know, put myself into a position of, of discomfort to, to really grow I think that's true for most people. There is uh, a lot to be said for that. I have yet to meet a person that's like, oh, you know what? All of these amazing things I created in my life were super simple. Required no effort. There was no friction. It was just like a buttery ride. Uncertainty is a really fascinating topic to me because people have a lot of false certainty. Not everyone in general, we have some false certainties. Give you an example. The winter storm that hit Texas recently, uh, talking to friends and family out there. One friend's like, this is crazy. I mean, it's interesting how the pe- different people responded to it. And I, I asked my buddy, I said, so when was the last time, you know, Texas had weather like that? Oh, it hasn't been since the 80s. And I'm like, okay, so it has happened before. Yeah, we just weren't prepared because it's been so long. Well, all of these words are are fascinating words because been so long. Yeah, for for you and me, the '80s is a long time. I was born in the '80s, so maybe it hasn't happened in my lifetime, but it has happened before. And we can get a lot more confident, uh, or at least not confident, but comfortable with the future. Uh, comfortable is probably not even a good word, too. We can get more realistic about the world we live in when we do a little bit of looking at the past. I was not a big history person until the last couple of years. In fact, the, the pandemic really got me looking into history a lot more. Started reading this book about samurais and all kinds of cool stuff. And I'm like, okay. And Ray Dalio, that most things in life are another one of these. And when I look at like what happened in Texas, I mean, the was it the power company ran out of power? Like all these crazy things happened and just people in general, not the people that, that live there, but even the government, the infrastructure just wasn't prepared. And it, it wasn't a brand new phenomenon. It's something that has happened before. Um, so uncertainty to me is, I mean, most things are, you know, okay, what is, how about this? What is certain? If I go over and I poke the leaf in that plant, I'm pretty certain it's going to put a hole in it, right? So kind of a level of confidence and certainty in that. Now, 
if I take that tree and fling it off the building and it goes into traffic, I can be certain it's going to cause some chaos. I don't know what the the reaction of that is going to be in terms of the uncertainty of the moment. And life is full of both of those things. Uh, the more clear we can get on action, reaction, cause, and effect, I think the more, you said clear, uh, clarity, essentially, we can get when we take those risks. And I'm just kind of rambling, I think, because I had too much caffeine. Uh, probably have to edit this part out now because I totally went on a little, like, journey down the rabbit hole. Uh, but most things in life are uncertain. You know, you said you said definite purpose. That's a really big word. And not something, we have, we have a lot more time now. Okay, this is a few things tied together. Definite purpose, time, certainty, uncertainty. If you go back a couple hundred years, you know, electricity... Uh, sort of a gift that we have in our lives now. Because of the tools that we have, you could argue we have more or less time than people of the past. Um, it was very few people that spent time thinking and reflecting on what is my purpose in life? Was Socrates, Plato, these really big philosophers. And it seems like we went through a period of time where there were maybe not as many big, great thinkers through the industrial revolution. And we got really caught up in the workload of the day and produce, produce, produce. And we're sort of back in this place now where we have the right tools and technology to use them efficiently to help us have more time to ask those questions. And yeah. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling now. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Definitely have to pay attention. This is the first time this has happened in terms of like editing and actually have to cut it out. But, I wouldn't uh, edit it out. This is a real conversation. Yeah. This probably. is the stuff that inspires people. Yeah. It's the edited versions of, you yeah. know, I think how many online ads, say, oh yeah, this person made this much money. It's like, well, you probably didn't see how much money they lost and the, the stumbling blocks and all, all this different stuff. Do you know what your definite purpose is? Well, I definitely say the one that I'm focusing on is, you know, helping immigrants at this point, but we're doing it indirectly. Now, did you say that on a on like a a very philosophical like spiritual level or do you say my definite purpose as a a human that was born in this period of time that needs work to do on a daily basis like this is what I'm good at? Well, this is, um, well, I can't say I know completely, but this is what I'm focusing on right now. Because I mean, I think, you know, as over time, your interests are going to change. So I, I don't know entirely, but I'm fine not knowing that. <laughs> like, Uncertain. I'm okay not knowing what's going to happen when I die. I'm okay not knowing what's, you know, I'm, I'm okay not knowing exactly like what I'm going to be doing in 10 years, like with, with the business. Am I still going to own this? Is it going to be something else? I've always been okay not knowing that. I think some people really want that level of clarity because it makes them feel secure. Mm. I've always been okay. And then maybe this is just a personality thing. I've always felt okay not, you know, being completely clear on exactly how it works, but just kind of focusing on the next step. Like, you know, what is actually the next step to get, you know, closer to where you want to be? And I'm I'm oddly comfortable 
when I tell people like, hey, yeah, you know what? Turns out we're all going to die. And even that feels weird to say that. You're like, oh, that just went dark. But it's a fact. Like I accepted it at a super young age and it's given me this sort of calm in life. When I see people freaking out about things, I remember driving with some friends in San Francisco and uh, this car just like pulled out of nowhere outside of the road. And I just responded, you know, uh, like got us out of the way, saved our lives in a way. And I was like, oh my gosh. And, uh, and there's certain moments in life I think we get the opportunity to react versus respond. And when you see, when I see someone that's really like kind of high anxiety, like very tense, uh, I, I often wonder like what haven't they accepted? You know, because I've been in moments like that and periods like that in my life as well. And it was usually something that I hadn't quite accepted whether it was like a, a version of certainty or um uncertainty do you f- do you feel like you know you said a personality trait have you have you been like that for as long as you can remember were there events that that got you to that level of thinking no i'd say there yes there definitely were but i've always just kind of been okay knowing that like you know i'm not gonna know everything i was i don't know i mean it's a personality thing i mean you like to think you always did things intentionally but you know just kind of led me to here but i was and i i think the big thing was you know we weren't raised religiously but we were raised to believe in love and kindness so and that's what my my mom always says so i mean it was it it was just kind of this thing like i never craved a lot of the clarity on these things because you know, I always just kind of focused on like, because like I said earlier in here is I, I just kind of focused on I knew how I wanted to feel in life. And that was really what I was going for. And of course, people are making emotional decision after emotional decision, chasing that feeling. But I, I knew what the end feeling was, but I had no idea what it was going to look like. I don't know what type of house I want or what my dream car is. I still don't. I don't know, you know, like what I want to own, how much money I want to make. I mean, even though I write down these these tangible goals every day. And so I just, I, I was always okay with un- uncertainty. And uh, I, I don't know why or where that trait came from. Maybe I was born with it or maybe it was some experience I had that, you know, and maybe that just got planted in subconsciously. I just never craved absolute clarity on things. Well, you've mentioned uh, diving too a few times and, and I've, I'm not a diving expert, but I imagine that in order to uh, free dive, which means... You know, no, no oxygen equipment, correct? What yeah, is, what yeah, is free diving? So exactly. fr- free diving is any type of diving without compressed gas. So you're underwater holding your breath. Okay. Diving. But yeah, there definitely is a level of focus with that. And that's, that's probably maybe part of like the focus and adaptation training. And that's still, even though I don't do it as professionally anymore, it's still, you know, a hobby of mine. We go constantly, at least once a week. You know, it's a big training thing. You know, that's what got me into meditation. I stretch daily for it. So would you say when you go, I mean, we live in a beautiful place too. I know you go down here into the cove, I think, right? Uh, I know somebody's talked to you. Yeah, we go to La Jolla Shores and yeah, we go to the cove sometimes, but you know, we we dive mostly for depth training, not, not just right. I mean, we still like to go recreational diving, but that's our, I guess the sub niche of the hobby that we're into is, you know, depth diving. Okay. So what is, uh, what's that exactly? Oh, you're going out there with the buoy. There's a line hanging on it with the plate at the bottom, and you're diving down to the bottom of the line, whether that 
however deep that line is compared, uh, depending on your you know physical and mental capabilities and also what you want to do that day when you're out. You're diving down, you're high-fiving a plate at the bottom and then coming back up. And there's this whole world of professional freedivers that do this and there are a lot of people that treat it like an Olympic sport. That's um, That was originally a lot of why I wanted to start the business so I could travel and go to freediving competitions more often. Hmm. That's pretty cool. So, yeah. so you had a higher purpose. Like, hey, I want to design my life around this, my life around this thing. And in part of this uh, end goal, or not even an end goal, but just a milestone, we'll call it, or this check mark, is to, to build my business so that I can travel and do freestyle competitions or free diving um, competitions. It seems like, for me, I, I'm not a strong swimmer. Like, that's probably, if I have a kryptonite, it would be swimming. For some reason, it's something that I've I put some effort into. I probably could put more effort into it. But I didn't pick it up very fast. And I'm generally accustomed when it comes to athletic things or physical things, like having a, a decent grasp right out of the, the gates, I think, because of all the others, probably just because of all the other stuff I do. You know, if you're constantly physical and you, you know, you're playing basketball and snowboarding, like you just kind of have the, the motor skills, I guess, built in. And I don't float very well. I haven't been able to float. I've had some people try to teach me, you know, holding the breath, sinking in, it's not working. So when I think of holding my breath and diving down into the ocean, even though it's not that far from the shore, there's a high level of uncertainty for me in terms of, am I going to make it back? <laughs> how, how did you get started? How would somebody that is like me that goes, man, that would be so cool to figure out how to do. What are the next steps or some of the ways to overcome that uncertainty to, to be better at it and engage in those things well i'd say it's not something you necessarily want to figure out because there's a lot of safety precautions you want to learn so it's good to learn from somebody but the big thing is just accept that it's something you want to do like when i first started freediving i had a really hard time holding my breath getting underwater properly and even though i was scuba diving at the time and it was it was very it was a lot more difficult for me than i thought it would be so it does come down to what you said earlier just making the decision and then also, um, you know, and when you were talking about this, you said three or four things that were definite, like, oh, like, I, I can't swim well. So that's a definite thing. You say, mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm afraid of being able to go underwater or, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering where to start. So I think it's just deciding that, hey, you know, the end result is if you want to be an athlete like uh, Goran Sholak, who's, you know, you know, diving to like, you know, 80, 90, 100 plus meters, you know, th they all started somewhere. And it's it's really it is, and it's a very modest sport in that sense. Did I actually say I can't? By the way, yeah, you said oh, three or four of these definite things, so it does kind of plant that, that seed. Because uh, we were talking about precision of language before we got started here too, and that's something that leaked into my vocabulary in the last year. Where in the past I would have said something like, "I'm I'm working on being a better swimmer," you know. I haven't cracked the code for floating yet. So I would choose those words very specifically because I, I do believe once you say, I can't or I don't know, it cuts us off. It cuts our brain off from being yeah. able to learn that. So generally, I'll use the in progress type of language like, man, I'm working on learning how to float. You know, I've had people help me, but I haven't floated yet. So thanks for the catch on that because that will. Yeah. Yeah, the, go ahead. 
one of my mentors has six kids and they're all, you know, grown now, mm-hmm. all doing fairly well in life. A few are probably going to be very, well, will be successful business people. They're really working hard at it. And like, they literally forbid their kids from saying can't. It was mm-hmm. a swear word in their house. It was equivalent to, yeah. you know, other, you know, much more, you know, worse words that are publicly accepted as worse. Oh. But they treated it like that. And I would much prefer people that I love, really anybody, to to use a four-letter word uh, like busy. I think busy is a four-letter word. But I think uh, the moment you tell yourself you're busy, you're just shutting yourself off. Also, like that same things. mentor also says, if you think you're busy, you're doing half as much as you think you are. So you need mm-hmm. to track. Mm-hmm. And that's, <laughs> it is. Uh, I have a really cool video that was shared with me because I think there's there's different ways people use the word busy. Some people use it as a sense of I have a lot going on and and they're just kind of they haven't really prepared or planned things out. Some people use it as more of an ego thing. I'm super busy. I've got all this stuff going on. Look how important and I, I am. Uh, and, you know, there's different versions of that. And so it was a word that kind of made me twinge before, like, oh, another person that's busy. And this, this would be at times where, you know, I'm working 10, 12 hours of like nonstop on the hour, one meeting to the next, like eating on the go, everything super dialed in very specific and hearing someone go oh like i'm really busy busy and i'm like okay you know whatever that means because i just didn't really assign much to it and so he shared this video it's darren hardy that's who it is i haven't oh yeah the compound effect guy yeah Yeah. is that okay so i don't know a lot about him but this yeah he wrote the compound effect he curated success magazine oh wow okay yeah he has um yeah there's other stuff he's done yeah, he's in San Diego too, somewhere. He he, I yeah, I was thinking he got a really beautiful backyard because I think that's where the video was recorded. It's just a, a two or three minute video. Basically says, if you use the word busy, like you're full of garbage. Busy means you're poor at planning, you're not organized, and he just rips into it. I'm like, oh, I love this guy already. Like, if anything, even though I'm not knowing much about him, I love uh, that video. Well, hey, man, let's do this. It's a beautiful day outside. I know we've been at this for yeah, a while. This is a solid interview. Uh, yeah, I love it. You know, let's get a, a couple of plugs in there. So we haven't, I mean, we've talked esoterically, kind of philosophically about your business, but uh, I'd love to spend a few minutes like you sharing exactly what you do, the type of people that you help. Oh, yeah. Um, what direction you're going in. Just, yeah, go for it. So we automate the intake process for immigration law firms which um, does sound a little open-ended and that's kind of somewhat deliberate is because every company is going to need different stuff, mm-hmm. but there's usually just, there's different parts of the process they're going to need help with. And we have a four-step process to helping them. And so really uh, we kind of left it a little open-ended. Then we realized that like, you know, being in marketing, one of the biggest things we dealt with was always like, Oh, we didn't make any money. We didn't make any money. And people were just kind of throwing money at marketing companies hoping it's going to solve every other issue in their company. Mm. And so, and usually the issue was uh, getting people to pay because most people are pretty good at the work. It's um, what happened after the leads come in. And that's really what we specialize in. We also do quite a bit of marketing. But yeah, we we help people like automate their intake process. Um, A lot of times it's just kind of kinks in the hose with actually getting people to sign up with, you know, any business, but particularly the niche we service immigration law firms. There's a lot of different steps to the process. 
And there's a lot of different steps to the fulfillment process too. And so we really wanted to start priming people for it. So a lot of what we do is um, we're going to remove a lot of the friction from the actual buying process from immigration firm, which can be all sorts of things leading from, you know, calling people back more often, um, you know, clarity on what's going to happen when they sign up, um, all these regular objections that people have. How do we build answering these questions into the sales process as opposed to people just, you know, signing on blind faith just, you know, because they like the lawyer? And also, you know, how do we, you know, make the industry a better place? Because the end result is such a positive one. And there's um, there's so much, like, as we're talking about certainty, people are literally in the immigration space paying a lawyer or a law firm or some type of consulting agency to do something for them. And they're going to be waiting a long time to see any type of result. Mm. It's, um, you know, it can be months or years before they hear back on certain things. And, and sometimes, it, you know, it's more immediate than that. Really, we wanted to just kind of improve that life because when I moved to Panama or was wanting to move to Panama, I contacted a law firm down there and I got the cold shoulder. Hey, come back with the money. <laughs> and it was, and I, I went through a lot of that kind of process, so I knew what it was like. And so we really wanted to kind of help people with these things because we saw how burned out the industry was, and we also saw how much help that the the end person actually needed in order to make an informed decision. So we really wanted to help people with that. And then the other opportunity we saw too is just timing is it was just there was no one else really attacking the market like you know in the way we are. So like like in regards to the whole immigration space, there's so many people that are working on like the immigration fulfillment side, like after the client, like the case fulfillment, the forms, the legal side of doing the work. And there wasn't a lot of help for the the process before that, like mm. the actual steps that went into actually turning a person from this you know, interested person that's watching your YouTube channel or saw one of your ads or, um, you know, walked into your office all the way to being somebody that could actually be, you know, paperwork on a lawyer's desk. And there were a lot of parts of that process that we kind of saw somewhat, um, you know, it's it's like every part of that process was such a major decision for like, uh, you know, the immigrant, let's call them in this case. I mean, not everybody hiring an immigration firm is immigrating to the U.S., but there were so many different steps to that process that were kind of taken for granted a lot by, you know, some of the because, I mean, you get desensitized to stuff, you know, firemen lose their bedside manner, like doctors get a little desensitized, like, you know, there's just all these it, it's just normal, like, you know, stockbrokers get used to seeing large amounts of money. And so they like, you know, sometimes get a little disconnected to, hey, that's someone's like, you know, kids college fund that's really important to them, even though like, hey, this account's only fifty thousand dollars instead of five hundred. So we wanted to kind of remove that. Um, we wanted to kind of remove that little bit, and then we realized that people just really needed help with the uncomfortable parts of mm -hmm. turning a client and or turning a prospect into a client. And a lot of that was just calling people back, um, you know, just kind of doing the whole the whole hand holding part of the process, which is kind of difficult. And when you own a big business, it's really difficult when you're getting a hundred plus inquiries a day to find a way to care about all these people. And that's like kind of the that's the gap we're trying to bridge in this industry is helping, you know, immigration firms sign these immigrants and help them have an awesome experience with them from a customer service perspective, as opposed to just doing awesome legal work. Well, that's pretty cool. It sounds like you're actually you're really making that happen. And uh, I believe whether you're a lawyer or a dentist or any kind of a business owner. Um, not any kind of business owner, most of the trade type businesses or services, you know, you open up a business because, hey, I went to dental school, like I'm going to 
make people healthier by doing dental work. But the sales side of it, the business side of it, it's not necessarily in everyone's wheelhouse. I think there are very few small or medium business owners that have a grasp on that process. And especially when it comes to marketing, I do and have done a lot of uh, work with folks that are in the B2B, you know, advertising, marketing, sales world. And, you know, you'll every once in a while get uh, a client that's like, hey, I don't, I don't know if this is working. I don't think this is working or, you know, uh, it made me think of that Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I don't remember that movie, like Alec Baldwin. It's a great old like sales movie. And the guy goes, the leads are weak. And Alec Baldwin goes, the leads are weak. The leads are weak. Like you're weak. And, you know, it was really just about how do you, one, get perspective. Also goes back to our time tracking thing. Hey, I think this isn't working. Um, I don't think my marketing's working. Well, let's get perspective on that. What's it supposed to do? How's it supposed to operate? Just having people that are specialized in different parts of the business um, can be really, really valuable because, yeah, not all business owners can run every part of their company. If you have a flooring company and you have people calling you about flooring, well, you know, what kind of mood is your receptionist in when someone does call? You know, how fast is that email being responded to when a customer inquires? And there's a term, I was actually looking at this last night, uh, you know, it's kind of seeing what, what CMOs are supposed to have in terms of a role in big organizations in today's age. And then I went down this rabbit hole that I, I, I almost, I wouldn't say forgotten about, but I haven't looked at in a bit and it's fractional work. So like fractional marketing officers and a lot of it's for larger businesses, but this concept of being able to go into businesses and saying, you know, I specialize in this one very specific thing and letting them hire it out because we live in a very, you know, nomadic digital contract style environment. And so essentially what I think you're doing is really powerful. And I believe it is in a big way, a huge positive movement for businesses to be able to have services like yours, companies come in and run parts of their business in a very effective, very knowledgeable manner and let them free up their time to be a better lawyer, you know, be a better doctor or dentist. And I think it's already been happening a lot over the last five years, but the more and more firms like yours open up, I think the more time we'll all have, the more uh, fluidity we'll have and the more more entrepreneurial ventures will probably succeed in the long term too. Well, the barrier to entry to actually starting a business is so low now. And I, I, I met with like a, you know, a software that helps do legal forms. I met with their, one of their agents yesterday. It was a docket wise. And like, you know, talking to them, it's, you know, all these things that are getting introduced are really, and they're meant to simplify people's existence within business. And even in a legal industry, we'll use new softwares and things and all that. And I think it just gets a little overwhelming for people because now that we have Google, it just seems so much harder to actually start a business and perform well. 
and you know, specifically what we do is, you know, years ago it was like, oh, I just have to start a business and do what I learned in law school. I can get this business book, I can hire this business coach. But now, like the moment you search something on YouTube, you're going to start getting ads from 50 different people on that topic. So it just seems like there's, um, and, and really all this is designed to simplify people's lives, but the amount of information we have access to can make it a little difficult. And it's a lot easier to have these incomplete projects inside your business or incomplete processes or different things. And what we really realized is that like there was a lot of these companies that had like existing software that they weren't using or they had... Um, they really wanted that automated company, but they didn't know how to get it. And so a lot of what we started doing was just documenting everything they needed to do and really just helping the staff, you know, figure this stuff out. And when, it was, when I first started my company, I was just running ads for people and, you know, just pretty much dumping more work onto the staff because that was, you know, that's the nature of lead generation is you get leads and then other people close them. And then uh, the more we started working with the staff, the more that we realized that there were actually other things that were more pressing that we could be helping with. And that there really was nothing in it for employees to um, like to have the boss build their business. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe after a year, they might introduce like, you know, some paid time off or a, like a holiday bonus or insurance of some kind. Or they might, you know, start paying for the parking at the building they work at. But, you know, for the most part, that was very long and gradual because I could, you know, a short term spike in business isn't enough to really like, you know, justify taking care of those employees. So. Once we started working with them and actually getting their perspective on it a bit more is for one, they usually always had the information we needed to help the company grow. And then the second thing, too, was um, we actually started attacking the root of the issue as far as like why these firms weren't growing the way they wanted to. It's like and common things we hear is like, oh, we're spending, you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month on ads. Um, we don't know what exactly is working, what isn't. And a lot of law firms are really afraid to like they're spending these high ticket numbers on ads and then they're afraid to take away part of it because they don't actually know what's working because um, they didn't formulate this. It was more just like, oh, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. And business grew in proportion to this, but there was no quantification as far as to what was working. Like, you know, hey, what's actually making our customers happy? Like, what 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 is the 80-20? Like, you know, all of our, our cases, are we actually tracking like, you know, what type of immigration cases are we actually doing for people the majority of the time? And maybe we should double down on that. You know, one law firm I met and talked to that's like, yeah, we reviewed our caseload and we realized that 70% of it was actually people, uh, you know, it was couples. So we just, re, you know, we, we went into just working with that, you know, type of market. And, you know, now they have like that niche in, inside this niche that they're working in. And so I think it's just getting to the point where when you can figure out your systems and your clarity, you can actually realize like what type of business you want to own. When you can realize that, okay, hey, you know, like this is the business, this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing that's working, this is what we should assess, and this is what we should get rid of. And also, you know, for talking about biases, we have something called the chemical bias, which is related to a lot of, um, you know, just substances that people can get relief or acceleration from or whatever, People that that kind of goes back to the fact that people want things to be instantly, and they want like relief from these issues instantly. Or really, mm-hmm. it might take two years to restructure your company the way you want to, or it might take um, a, like a lot longer to deal with this. So there might be you know other issues that are contributing to this that maybe aren't business things. Mm. And so overall, getting back to the thing though, is we just saw a huge opportunity in this market because it was the more we worked in it. The more we realized how burned out people were, and this, the more we realized how hard it was for people to actually do this, or how perceivably hard it was, 
And then also, you know, when you come from the marketing industry and you're used to cold calling and getting hung up on all the time and, and you know, just dealing with that. And then you have this industry where they're getting a lot of inbound leads, a lot of people that are just, you know, asking for help on their own. They're calling back unprompted, wanting to do the sales. They're like, very rarely do I have someone just call me back and then say, <laughs> oh, hey, we're ready to start. It's usually me pursuing that person. And so, like, it was this good kind of mesh. But we realized that we had to change the approach a little bit, that we couldn't expect employees to to work like entrepreneurs, to have this mindset of, oh, hey, like, I'm just going to get rejected until it works. Like, mm-hmm. that's not exactly how they thought. Then we also just made solutions for it. We realized that, hey, you know, it's they're having problems with this. Why don't we just start doing it for them instead of trying to change these people that, you know, didn't want to anyways and usually weren't going to. They weren't going to get let go by their boss just because they weren't going to do things to they didn't want to like face the discomfort of it. They worked there for a long time. And so overall, like it did just kind of boil down to helping this industry. I mean, like we kind of said, we just kind of wanted to massage the process that it took to actually take somebody from someone interested to someone that's that's paying, that's a client that you can actually service. And then the extension of that is, you know, after someone signs up in regards to legal work, you know, how do you actually make that person feel like they're being served properly and feel like you're actually doing a good job? Because it's, it's not enough to just know that, you do, oh, we're, we're doing a really good job preparing this immigration case. Like, they should be happy. They should know. They have no idea how to actually. So it's, it's important to kind of paint the process out for people and make them realize that, hey, you know, like this, this is what we're doing. This is how we're, we're working on it. You know, it's, um, it's just it comes back to the whole thing. Like, you got to have customer service to make people happy. Yeah. The customer is almost always right. Sometimes they are. Well, I mean, the customer is the one that pays you, so (laughs) they need to feel right. Yeah, feel feel right. It's uh, that's such an important lesson in life that you know how someone feels is the truth. Um, well, it's pretty cool, man. There's so much good stuff in there. Obviously, you're very excited about what you're doing. It's yeah, very exciting. yeah, I like this. Oh, it's freaking awesome! It's it's fun hearing you talk about it and and share it. And uh, having known you for now for this last year and a half too, watch how it's evolved and your clarity is shaped. And you're right; there's so much information out there. Uh, in 2015, when I moved back from Brazil, I wasn't totally certain of what I was going to do. And I remember going, okay, like I like to solve problems. I like to help people going online, typing in some stuff. And it was like, okay, consultant. Hmm. You know, that makes sense. It's 2015, right? Like May, April, April, May of 2015. So I was like, all right, how to be a consultant. And I typed that in and it was like, you know, there were, there were things that popped up obviously back then. One of them was, I think a Forbes article. And it was like the 10 steps to being a consultant. So I read the article wrote down the steps, uh, came up with my plan. I don't know, maybe a day, a couple days, whatever. I was like, all right, how do I find a client? Uh, went on to Craigslist, started calling people, met with a lady, you know, asked her a bunch of questions, used my little template I got from this Forbes article, had a client, boom, I was a consultant. I was like, cool. Now, if you go online in 2021 and you type in how to be a consultant, like you said, with the advertising, I'm going to get, you know, 8 million search results, probably more. I'm going to get an ad on every site or video teaching me how to be a consultant. I'm going to get some things that seem like they're going to teach me to be a consultant. They're going to suck me into a paid course or a program. 
Not that any of that's bad, but there's so much money and education. One of the skills I believe it's important for us to have as people now and and continue to move forward in the, the future is the ability to recognize what is specific knowledge that is going to help me in my quest and when not to get overloaded, when to just stop, absorb something and take action. Sounds like you have really a firm grasp on that over the last few years in terms of where you're getting information from, how to disseminate it, how to uh, apply it to your business and to help others. And that's really fascinating, man. Let's, I'd say let's, uh, let's give you some plugs here. How can people find out more about you, track you down? Uh, here's some of the other things that you're doing. Go ahead and give yourself some plugs. Well, I guess overall, the company's Immigration Finder, immigrationfinder.com. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. Um, LinkedIn's probably my most, my most active platform. Really don't use social media a lot, despite the fact we run a lot of social media ads. And it's, um, yeah, if you want to find me online, I think I'm the only one with my name, Ian L. Macy. So, uh, yeah, if you want to check us out, immigrationfinder.com is a good way to do it. If you go on LinkedIn and look up Ian L. Macy, A L M A S I, you'll be able to find me on there. It's probably the most active platform. And I guess overall, and you know, there's not a lot of people just attacking the industry like we are. So I think we're starting to show up in search results for, you know, kind of immigration intake stuff. But that's not a very searchable thing. So, um, yeah, if you want to find me, feel free to check that out. Um, if you want a free presentation on exactly how we work on immigration firms, just look up immigration firm or immigrationfinder.com-web. Um, that's uh, going to lead you to a webinar where you get to see a little bit about the services that we offer and, you know, just kind of how we help them grow. Obviously, the stuff we teach is valuable to a lot of different business industries. We just choose to apply it to the immigration niche because, for one, like we've seen that it produces good results. And this is just where we wanted to be known as, uh, you know, as, as experts, too, just because, um, you know, it definitely was ripe. It was, it was good. But, yeah, if you want to check that out. And then from the website, you can join our email list. So, yeah, we're going to have all this stuff sent out to you. There you go. Got a commercial for immigrationfinder.com. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, uh, it's been a lot of fun and we'll wrap this thing up. I'm glad you enjoyed some coffee. You know, you said you haven't really been a big caffeine person. So I think I had five cups of coffee before I was 25. So oh five gosh. or 10, something like that. And how, wait, how old are you now? I am 28. 28 years old. All right, Mr. Ian. Almasi, Almasi, I always played that uh, in my head. I'm it, like, it's Almasi. Yeah, Almasi. Why do I? I was when I. Yeah, well, there's uh, my best friend in preschool was the only person that actually said it right the first time up to this point. So, yeah, yeah we'll, uh, we'll keep working on that. I think that may be the first time I'm really hearing it out loud. So that's yeah. interesting. After knowing you for so long, I'm like, oh, that's his last name, Almasi. Well, yeah, got it. Yeah, it's a common one. But no, it's been a good interview. So um, yeah, well, yeah, looking forward to seeing the finished copy of this. And yeah, let's uh, we'll wrap it up. All right, happy to have you. Yeah, cheers. See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. <laughs> it was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Dedic Podcast.